Good morning, Gateway. It is such a privilege to be back with you. And I want to just add uh, to what has already been said and tell you how proud I am of you and your journey. I know this has not been easy. And as I was coming in, you were in the middle of this transition. And uh, I stood here many months ago, it feels like a long time ago, and I reminded you that this was going to be a defining crisis in the life of this church. Defining crisis are moments when we feel overwhelmed by something that's happening and we're not sure how to handle it. And in the middle of those crises, we have options. We have decisions. And the things we do and say and how we behave and how we treat one another define the trajectory of our lives and, in this case, the life of this church. And I, I'm going to guess you don't remember all that I said last time I was here. That's okay. Half the time I don't remember what I say. I reminded you that what was going to be sacrificed in these days was going to be comfort. The things you wanted and the things you liked and the things you enjoyed sometimes need to be set aside because you're in a, in a time that's going to require a new level of leadership, a new level of effort. And I want you to know how proud I am of those of you that sit here today because you have seen the course during a really difficult season. The good news is that you're at the beginning of a fresh season, and God is up to something, and I'm here to share a bitter, better and different message today, one that I enjoy sharing uh, more than I enjoyed the last one, because the last one was a little difficult. You're at the beginning of this season where God has chosen you to do something significant in this place and in this time. God has chosen you as individuals, and he's chosen you as a family. And I don't know if you realize this, but you're part of a bigger family called the Christian Missionary Alliance. There's almost 100 churches in this district, all of Minnesota and the eastern half of the Dakotas. But there's almost 2,000 churches in America, and there's millions and millions of people that are fellow Christian Missionary Alliance people with you around the globe meeting this morning and they have the exact same mission that you have, and that is to see every man, woman, and child in this place, in fact, in the world, encounter the gospel message. Did you know that that's your mission in this place and time? Uh, if you're new to the church environment, if maybe this is the first time you've come to Gateway, first of all, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And uh, you've enjoyed a time where we've worshipped the Lord. If you're unfamiliar with the church environment, uh, we're really glad you're here. We worship God, we share our love for Him, and then we take some time like we're going to do now and we spend some time in the Bible because we believe that's where we get the direction for our life, for raising children, for work. And so if you're new, we want to welcome you. All of you this morning are chosen. Now, specifically, we're celebrating the fact that Jeff has been and Amanda have been chosen for this time and place, but really I want to speak to all of you today because what we're talking about is the chosenness of a people, chosen for this time in this place. I want to walk into a story with you. If you have your Bible with you, come with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. I love the stories of Scripture because they walk us into certain principles that help us live and help us walk. I want to remind you of a big question that has been either in the back of your mind or at the beginning of your mind during this transition. 
And it might be a question that's at the front of your mind more often than you care to admit in your journey with God, and that is, is there a God who guides my life? Is he out there? Does he care? Is he paying attention? And does he actually guide my life, or is it up to me? And each of us this morning have to make that decision. You've had to make it already today. You'll have to make it when you leave this place. You have to constantly decide, am I in charge of my life or is God in charge of it? Am I leading my life or is God orchestrating how my life goes? And we know that it's a combination of the two in some cases. But is God alive and does he guide your life? If the answer to that question in your mind is, yes, I believe there is a God, and I'm assuming for most of you that's the way it is, then you begin to understand that you are not here by accident. God is up to something. He's using you at work, in your marriage, with your children, with your grandchildren. God is up to something, and you are a part of a much bigger picture. If God is alive, you have been chosen for this time in this place. And I would submit to you, if you're coming to this church this morning for the first time, maybe it's been a while since you've explored faith, I want to tell you that God is alive. I promise you. And I don't know that simply because I've studied it. I know that because I've lived it. I've walked it. I've journeyed with a God who is constantly present. And if that's a question in your spirit today, I just want to affirm for you that it's true. He's alive, and he's orchestrating your life, and you are part of something much, much bigger. Come with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. I want to talk about two very distinct people who were wrestling with the reality of whether God is there and God is guiding because they were wrestling with all the same things that you and I wrestle with when we think about God being in charge. And I don't know if you're a little bit resistant to authority like I am, but the notion that somebody else is in charge of my life other than me, I find a little difficult sometimes. Anybody else in that camp? You don't have to admit it. But, but if God is alive and he's up to something and we say that he is, I want to remind you in this story of two very interesting people how God works. Come with me to verse 1, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. The scripture will be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. The Lord said to Samuel. Now, Samuel, we're dropping into the middle of a story, and you need to have a little bit of context. In this story, there's an old dude. It's the only way I can describe him. Samuel had been around a long time, and he'd been walking with God a long time. Samuel was a prophet, and his job was to listen to God and say what God had said, told him to say which was a tough job, by the way. None of you would want that job because God often says things that people don't like. So Samuel, he was an older guy. He'd been walking with God for a long time, and we encounter him at the very beginning of this story. Before the story's over, we're going to run into a young guy who had the same questions about who God is. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? In this story, the king of Israel had just been asked to step down by God. You don't want to be fired by God, by the way. And that's what had happened to Saul. Saul had not served well as a king, and God had asked him to step down. And so now he's getting ready to anoint a new king. 
How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, you don't know all the background of the history, and probably I don't either, but what we do know from Scripture is that uh, this individual, Jesse, you would not have known who he was. God says to Samuel, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to go to Jesse, and one of his sons is going to be the next king. Samuel probably had no idea about Jesse, who he was, what kind of person he was, and he especially didn't know anything about his sons. So God picks this person who nobody has heard of to be the next king of Israel. I can imagine Samuel's reaction to that, and that was, huh? Have you ever had that reaction to something God asked you to do? When you're in the middle of God's chosen time and place, he does things you don't expect. Are you familiar with that? He asks you to do things you didn't see coming. He doesn't inform you about all the details before he does something. And that personally irritates me. Does it irritate you? I think he should ask my permission. God is up to something bigger, and you're a part of it. Jesse, who's that? Who is his son? Nobody would have known, but God knew. When you began this process many, many months ago, God knew. In your life, the friendships that you're trying to manage that are difficult right now, God knows. The business decisions that you're making right now, that you are... So much hangs in the balance. Millions of dollars, people's lives hang in the balance. God knows. If God is alive and he's in charge, he knows. That child who's not behaving the way you would hope that they would behave, who's begun to make decisions that are so difficult, not only for you but for them, God knows. If you're a part of something bigger and God is alive, he knows. One of the principles when it comes to what God is up to is that he chooses people, and we can use the word leaders because all of us lead. Did you know that? Every single person in this room offers influence to the world. You may not see yourself as a leader, but you are, sometimes in big ways and sometimes in small ways. And God, for whatever his reason, he chooses leaders and people from unlikely places. That's what God was up to in this story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Nobody knew who Jesse was, and nobody knew who his son was, but God picked him, an unlikely person, from an unlikely place. Come with me to chapter 16, verse 2, and we run into the response of somebody who's been asked to do something that is difficult and challenging. And you know what? When you're part of God's story, when you're in God's place at God's time and he's up to something, he's going to ask you to do things that are difficult and challenging. Samuel, the old guy, he'd been walking with God for a long time. God asks him to do this. And what does Samuel say? He says, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Now, you and I don't live in that day and age, but back then, if the king got unhappy, he could do whatever he wanted, including kill people. And so Samuel is asked by God to do something, and what's his response? I can't. What was going on with Samuel? He was afraid. 
It was too difficult. Lord, I don't know how to do this. What if? When you're in the middle of something that God has asked you to do, if you're God's person in God's place at this time, which all of you are, God is going to ask you to do things that are difficult, and your first response will be, I can't do that. I've had so many arguments with God about the things he wants me to do. I've had this exact argument that Samuel had many times. Anybody else? Have you ever felt afraid? Have you ever said no to God? I'm not doing that. Are you crazy? I've had that conversation with God, too. That's usually not a good way to treat God, but he understands. How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Second thing I want you to remember is that when God is up to something and you're God's chosen person, he will choose you, and it might seem unlikely. And then he's going to ask you to do something that's going to involve challenge and difficulty, and you're going to feel uncomfortable. Listen, friends, the reason that you're here is that there are thousands of lost people in this community. There are thousands of people whose marriages are disintegrating. There are thousands of people who are completely distressed without hope. And the reason you have been placed at this church at this time in the history of mankind is because you are the answer to the darkness that lives in this community. I want to remind you of that as you sit here. Sometimes we come to church and we enjoy one another and we think that the reason that we're here is to enjoy one another and to do this thing we call church. And this is a great, you should do this. We should all enjoy this. But this is not the purpose that you came to Jesus Christ. Jesus drew you out of the darkness that you were in and probably still drawing you because all of us have darkness that we're still trying to yield to the Lord. And he drew you out of that because there was a purpose for you that was bigger than yourself. And so your purpose in this place, in this time, God will invite you to do some things you don't want to do and you are challenged to do. That's the nature of the journey that we're on. Chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, the Lord said, it's interesting to me in this passage as you scan the story, God just sort of ignored Samuel and his whiny response. Oh, but Lord, I can't. God just kind of ignores it. Says, hey, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I will indicate. There's a powerful little phrase in this verse that when God invites you to be his person at this place in time, in your company, in your family, in the church, in this community, and you think, Lord, I can't. Lord, I don't know what to do. There's a powerful little phrase in verse 3. I will show you what to do. This is the hope of all people who walk with Jesus. And if you believe Jesus is alive, and you believe that he's up to something, and you really believe both those things, then you can count on the fact that he will show you what to do. You know, the reason that we spend time praying, the 
the reason we spend time in God's presence as Christian people is because we don't know what to do. That's the story of our lives. That when we join God and what he's up to, we are not aware of the whole plan. And what we desperately have to do is submit ourselves to the leader of that plan and ask. And I love that in this story, when God asks somebody to do something difficult, there's this phrase, I will show you what to do. How many times have you been asked to do something by God that's been really difficult and you've answered like Samuel and then you've run off and tried to do it yourself? Anybody else join me in that foolishness? I know there's a few of you. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you're just lying. I know you've done this. Lord, I'm afraid, but you know you're supposed to do it, and so you go after it. And if you don't stop first and ask, man, I've done the dumbest things. I can't tell you about those dumb things because you wouldn't have me come back and speak. I've done the dumbest things because I thought I knew best, and I didn't listen. I want to remind you of a third thing. God, he'll choose people from unlikely places, and some of you are unlikely leaders, by the way. You may not know this, but you're unlikely. God chose you. You might have not been the most gifted, the most skilled, the most eloquent, but God chose you. God chose you for this time and this place to do what he's asking you to do. And what that invitation involves is some difficulty. And the third thing that it involves is that you must learn to be dependent on God. That means daily. I don't know if you need to do this as much as I do, but it feels like I have to do this moment by moment through the day because I'm so hard-headed and difficult and stubborn and willful. That's me, not you. I have to daily submit myself moment by moment to the leadership of God and depend on Him and remind myself that He's in charge. Leadership, walking with God, always involves dependence on God. True, deep dependence. And some of you in this journey that you've had as we've been wrestling through who God might bring to lead us in this church, some of you have wrestled with dependence on God. And you've asked questions like this. Is God still in charge? What's going on? What are the leadership doing? Why isn't this going the way we want it to? Why isn't it happening quicker? Do you have any thoughts like that? But God was up to something. And the posture of God's people is to be prayerfully dependent while we're doing what he asked us to do. So we jump down to verse 7 in this story, and the Lord says to Samuel, after he obeys finally, and he goes and does what God has asked him to do, and he's leading this sacrifice offering, and Jesse and his sons have been invited. The Lord says to Samuel in the middle of all this, do not consider his appearance or height. Samuel had bumped into one of Jesse's sons, and he thought to himself, you see that just a little bit earlier in the verses, he thought to himself, oh, this has got to be the king. This is the one. God is choosing this one because he was handsome and tall, and I'm sure he was muscular and all the, whatever Samuel had in his head about the next king. But in verse 7, the Lord says to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. I wonder how much counseling he needed for that. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
The fourth thing I want to remind you of this morning is that um, because you are chosen for this time and this place, it is not your prerogative to say, Lord, I'm not whatever, you fill in the blank. I'm not good enough. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not young enough. There's all kinds of enoughs that we use when it comes to doing what God asks us to do. For whatever reason, you are chosen. Now, we've got some really young people in here as well. Some of you are 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, 10, 12, 15. Please don't think I'm just talking to the adults. Because we'll find out later in the story that God, the person God chose, was a very young kid to be the next king. And if you're a young person in here today, God has chosen you. You may not like that. You may not think it's true. But it is absolutely true. You don't have to be 18 to be chosen by God or 21. So young people, I want you to hear me in the room. God has chosen you to be his people at school, with your friends, with your family. How you treat your parents matters. How you treat your siblings matters. God has chosen you. And for the rest of us, if you feel like God has made a mistake in choosing you at this time in the history of this place, he has not. You are God's people for this town at this place in history. So the fourth thing I want you to remember is that God's leaders are chosen for God's reasons. They are not chosen for your reasons. You will have all kinds of excuses for why you can't or won't or how you're too young or too old or too whatever. But God is up to something here and you're a part of it. So the only question is, will you say yes? Verse 13, skipping on down. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Let me back up just a couple of moments. There was a bunch of brothers to the king. There were a bunch of sons of Jesse. And what had happened in the part that I just jumped over was that each of those people had come and Samuel had been sure that they were the next king. And it was a long and arduous process. I don't know how many hours it took, but it took longer than anybody wanted. And man after man was looked at, and God said no. Until finally, Samuel says to the entire group there, and especially Jesse, is there anybody else? So it looks like we're out of brothers. And Samuel, if we were there, we probably would have seen him go, oh, yeah, there's one more. And the implication is that this young man was not worthy to be with the rest of the brothers in his father's eyes. He was so young that the only thing he was good for in, in Jesse's eyes was to go take care of sheep and goats. Samuel says, go get him, and we'll wait. 
Samuel brings, or uh, Jesse brings his final son, and that, this young, young kid, that was who God had chosen. So remember, God is choosing people based on his criteria and not yours. That's true of Jeff and Amanda. Now, we know Jeff and Amanda are awesome, right? And you're going to continue to get to know them, and we know that God has chosen them. But we also want to say, hey, remember, you were chosen for God's reasons for this time and this place. Don't get too cocky. Because God is up to something, and he's chosen you for his reasons. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed this young kid named David, who we all know, if we've read the Bible, became a great king. Anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, this is the most powerful part of any verse that we're going to talk about today. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. And then as a footnote, Samuel then took off. The most powerful thing that can happen to you as a church. Jeff and Amanda, the most powerful thing that can happen to you today and every day after this day is that the Holy Spirit comes on you, fills you, and pours out of you. Friends, I get to travel around to a lot of churches. I've been doing this for a lot of years. And I see churches doing all kinds of things to try to bring people to their church. And I'm a fan of let's do everything we can. Let's do, let's do excellent worship. Let's have a great sanctuary. And so I am not speaking against any of that, but I want you to know that over 48 years I have observed that there's one thing and one thing only that makes a difference when people walk through the doors of a church, and that is the presence of God's Spirit. And the way that happens is that each of you have submitted to the presence of God's Spirit in your life. And so when people walk in, it flows out of you. It spills out of you. It spills out in the way you talk. It spills out in the way you relate. It spills out in your kindness and your willingness to not gossip about each other. It spills out in how you care for your kids. And that when people walk in here, there's something different, and they don't know what it is, but they want it. Gateway, there is a beautiful future out in front of you. But the most important part of it will be whether the Spirit is in you so that when people come here, they experience Him. Samuel, an old guy who had to say yes to God's plan. Some of us are in that old guy camp or old gal camp. I don't know if you want to admit it or not, but I'm getting there. 
It's harder to say yes when we're older. And then there was a young kid named David who didn't see it coming. He didn't know what God was up to, but God plucked him out of his sheep herding and made him a king. He had to say yes too. So it doesn't matter whether you're young or old here this morning. The invitation of your God is the same. He says to you, Gateway, I'm up to something. And you get to be a part of it. And the only thing you need to decide today is whether your answer is going to be yes to that invitation. Because if you say yes, he's going to use you in ways you didn't see. He's going to do things you didn't expect. And the impact of this church on this place will be something you can't imagine. Because you are God's people for this time. The last slide I want you to to put up, if you've got it, just reminds us of the five things that we've said today. If you are God's people for this time and this place, remember he chooses leaders from unlikely places. You will expect it. It will involve challenge and difficulty, and if you have come to believe that your Christian walk is designed to make you feel comfortable, you've bought into the wrong thing. Leadership for God always involves dependence. You must be a people who lean on your God. God's leaders are chosen for God's reasons, and don't be fooled and don't believe that you can't if he's chosen you. And then my favorite part of this story is that God empowers those he's chosen to accomplish what he has asked. Gateway, you are God's people for this time and this place. Jeff and Amanda are here to walk with you and offer leadership, but this is about all of us. So today I'm really here to remind you of that. That's really my role. I'm the chief reminding officer, and I do that everywhere I go. And so today we want to do what's called an installation. That always cracks me up, that term. Somebody else came up with that term before I ever got here. But uh, uh, installations make me laugh because what if we get this wrong? What if I get the batteries in wrong or something? But that's not how this goes. An installation service is really an opportunity for me to come to remind you what you're a part of and then invite you to say a yes along with Jeff and Amanda. So here's what we're going to do. It's very simple. Before we have communion together, and Jeff is going to lead us through that, I'm going to invite Jeff and Amanda to come and stand right here with me. And then I want you to join me. Turn around and face them. I'd love to see your faces, but we'll let them see you. I want you to join me in committing to praying, leaning in, being everything that God wants you to be in this time and this place, that you would become an incredibly impactful place for all the lost who long to fill the void they don't know how to fill. So an installation service is really an opportunity for me to pray for them, but also 
for you to be involved. And so I'm going to ask our elders and then anybody else, so not necessarily in that order, but I want our elders up here. But also, if you are able to physically, I want to invite you. And if you'd like to, I want you to come up, and I'd like you to find a piece of real estate on Jeff or Amanda and stick a hand on it. And we're going to pray together in just a minute. We're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for you because God is up to something, and you get to be a part of it. Anybody who would like to, certainly don't have to, but I invite you to. And if you can't find a piece of real estate on Jeff or Amanda, just touch somebody in front of you. So by standing here or sitting here, and you may just extend your hand wherever you're sitting. By praying with me today, you're saying a yes. Lord, you've chosen us for this time and this place, and what we say together is yes. Jesus, we come into your throne room this morning thankful. Thankful that you have a plan, that you're in charge Lord, we know that you're up to something in this place at this time. And for whatever reason, I don't understand the mysteries of your decisions, but you've chosen us. Lord, sometimes I look in the mirror and I think, really? But Lord, you've chosen us. For this time in the history of mankind to be your people in this place. And so together, we want to say yes. Lord, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on Jeff and Amanda. We pray that you would fill them completely with your presence and your power for this calling that you've given them. And Lord, now I ask that you'd spread that Holy Spirit anointing out on every person that's standing and every person that's sitting here today, that we would sense your presence, that we would open our hearts to you. And Lord, even if it kind of scares us a little bit because the Holy Spirit, that's a little weird. What are you going to do? Lord, we open our hearts to you and we ask you to fill every part of us. We pray that you would fill our work life and our parenting and our friendships. Lord, we pray that you would anoint and infuse our companies. We pray, Lord, that Gateway would be known as the place where God's Holy Spirit resides in power. And we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.